really pretty cool, isn't it, when you think about it? If any of you would like to support Danny in this ministry, then however you choose to give online or through offering here uh, physically, just write Danny on it, and uh, we'll see that um, uh, he receives that kind of support. Well, we're continuing our study this morning through the epistles of Peter, and we're still in 1 Peter. We'll head into 2 Peter later. Um, But this morning, I, I want to work with something I've entitled Cure for Identity Crisis. The story is told of, of, a, of a baby rabbit who was orphaned. And fortunately, a family of squirrels took it in, raised it as if it were one of their own. Now, this adoption led to some rather peculiar behaviors on part of the rabbit, including a tendency for it to scurry around like its step-siblings instead of hopping. When the rabbit grew up, it went through a bit of an identity crisis, so the rabbit went to his squirrel step-parents to discuss the problem. The rabbit confessed how he felt different from his squirrel step-siblings and wasn't sure he should be a squirrel or a rabbit. He was just so confused and forlorn. His stepfather's response came right back to him, excuse me, simple but profound, He said, don't scurry, be hoppy. Okay. Recognize that's a tad corny. But I want us to spend some time this morning thinking about our identity. Those issues that all too often get confused by the lies that come from within us. The lies the world around us keep telling us about ourselves. And... Absolutely the lies that Satan longs to feed into our heads. And the lies, though not often spoken out loud from from these particular forces, can go something like this. To the very extreme that it says you are so screwed up you don't even know who you are. All the way down to, I just wish I understood what my purpose was, what is my identity. Or perhaps you're thinking you've been treated so unfairly by those who should have cared for me. It's their fault that I have created such a negative self-definition of who I am. End a conversation, and those lies become your definition of who you are. Now, now given those and scores of other lies that we feed ourselves, how many of us suffer from just simple, classic identity crisis? Or let's call it low self-esteem, or put some other title to it. Well, Peter, in this, his first letter, entitled First Peter, has a lot to say about our identity and helps to provide a cure for our confusion over who we are in God's big picture. His perspective is fundamental in forming our self-definition. After all, it would only make sense that one's identity is found through the one who designed or slash created you. Therefore, establishing the purpose of your existence on planet Earth, one that defines your identity, who you are. And it was specifically designed, I want you to hear this, specifically designed by Jesus Christ, your creator, your designer. So let's look at the text and identify some powerful truths about who we really are as followers of Christ. Here's the first clue. Peter calls us 
living stones. He began his section, this is verse 4, and it goes like this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, this is unquestionably a significant passage if we are to understand who we are, if we're to understand our identity, because Peter points to us uh, some critical but life-changing truths in this section by painting a backdrop for us. Our identity is going to be defined by this sort of background, backdrop, foundation. And he begins by declaring that there is only one Savior, Jesus Christ, and there is only one spiritual building, the church. But then he goes on and he makes this declaration, this, this clarification. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. And as the cornerstone, he's the perfect stone on which the whole church rests and takes its shape. He's our definition. Everything aligns itself to the cornerstone. Therefore, we can with confidence say he is our designer, both individually as people, but just as importantly, collectively as his people, the church. But then Peter, in order to ensure that he's not just giving or just creating another religion based on a good guy's teaching, there's a lot of those around, he declares the ultimate truth. He declares that this Jesus is the living stone because he was raised from the dead and lives with God in heaven. And as Christ's followers, we're called to follow this living Savior. We don't lose sight of this truth. So so we can't lose sight of this truth as we go through our message this morning because it becomes the foundation of the very idea of identity. He declares that ultimate truth. This is our foundation. We serve a risen Savior. That's our backdrop. Nothing can be altered if we're to live in him. Nothing can alter that foundation, that background for us. Now, Peter also called Jesus the chosen stone, the precious stone of the Father. But sad to say, despite his chosen and precious status before God, he was rejected by the people. Look at verse 7. Now, to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. In other words, God sends Jesus to the planet, but the people of his day, at least largely speaking, want to send him back. Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that the people of his day were desiring and expecting, so they stumbled over him. His teaching, his lifestyle, and above all, who he declared himself to be. He had the audacity to say, not just suggest, but to declare that he was the Son of God. And they had formed a different picture of what they wanted their God to look like and act like, which ultimately defined their identity. Now, I get that. It's not all that different from today. As a matter of fact, I can step into that challenge myself and and, and find myself guilty of this. 
because we're so tempted to design our own God to fit into what we most feel comfortable with. And when the real Jesus is uncovered, people today still stumble over who he is and what he requires of them and thus try to carve out their own identity in relationship to the God of their own making. We want to feel comfortable with our God. Unfortunately, that isn't always possible. But regardless of people's reaction to Christ, here's the truth. He is who he is. He is the living stone. He's the chosen and precious one to God the Father. And here's the wonderful news for us. If we do believe in the living stone, then we become living stones who are being built into God's spiritual house, giving permission for our identity to be formed by our designer, Jesus. And more than that, every time someone becomes a Christian, another stone is quarried out and put in place in this amazing building forming this beautiful spiritual building, the church, the body of Christ. But sometimes, for now, it may look to us like these, and those who are looking on at this building, this church, it seems at times more like a pile of rubble and ruins. I mean, after all, there's there's some confusion, there's there's some stories about it that, that don't seem to fit our picture of what we believe God would build and call beautiful. I guess I'm just saying the church isn't perfect. But God's picture of us is so much bigger. I, I mean, he sees all our ups, he knows our downs, he understands the struggles, and he even is there with us in the midst of our failures. And if it were up to humans like you and me, we'd probably just walk away, giving up. But I'm glad to inform us all that God is much more gracious and merciful. Yes, he he wants to deal with our sin. Yes, he has ways of correcting us that sometimes don't feel comfortable. But I want you to know that at the end of the day, we are marching side by side beside a gracious and merciful God. There is no give up in his language. His arms are always open because we are his living stones, synonymous to being formed in his image. Even his acts of judgment are only to get our attention. Ray Steadman, in in his commentary on, um, on Jeremiah, refers to judgment as his last act of love. He'll do whatever he can in order to get our attention. And so he continues to work as the chief architect and builder with what he has designed, and listen to this, is still designing. Here's the point. All your struggles and sins, he hasn't given up because he's working diligently to make a better you. If you will willingly submit to his design, which, by the way, defines your ultimate identity. Now, let me put this out of, let me shout this out to each of us. Because it's one amazing privilege for us to be part of God's building that ultimately houses God's Spirit. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit if we have made the choice to become followers of Jesus. As you submit to God, confess your sin, meaning your failure to do what God designed you to be or to do. And guess what? Well, one... He's willing and ready to forgive your sin right then and there, right now. 
And here's the clincher. By doing so, meaning that we receive him as our Savior, then, well, let me share with you what another of Jesus' apostles wrote about this. It's the Apostle John, and it comes right at the beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. And he wrote this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Because you see, as children of God, it means that we who have received Jesus in this fashion are all in one family with a wonderful title, the church, the body of Christ. We are his. We need to yell it out, despite all our warts and wrinkles. But hold on, it still gets better. See, Peter wrote this letter to believers living in five different geographical uh, areas. And yet he said they belong to one spiritual house, the church, the body of Christ. You see, there's, there's a unity of God's people that transcends all local churches. It looks past every racial distinction. It sees the equality of the genders, both man and woman. And what God is doing is so much bigger than any individual person or congregation at any point in history could do. Because you and I, who are followers of Jesus, are being added to God's glorious spiritual building with those who went before us and those who are yet to come. So we have not only joined with the Christians like the one that Danny spoke of over in Central Asia or wherever that was he was, um, we, we are joined with the, with the people who went beyond or before us, and, and we're going to be connected to those who are yet to come. It's this amazing structure that God <clears throat> has designed for you and I to live in and to live with. Has it become perfect yet? No. But in the process of growing and identifying with this amazing background, the living Savior it is turning into something that is absolute. Well, it can last forever. That's quality, guaranteed. We're part of an eternal family. Paul said it so well in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. He wrote this <clears throat> Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, like we've been talking about. In him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So who are we? Well, as living stones built upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, we are privileged to be repurposed as a holy dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He takes the old you and he, and he makes you brand new. That's the beauty of this. And we as followers of Jesus are the very temple of the Holy Spirit. Simply meaning God lives within his children, meaning we are his people. Can't say it enough. There lies our identity. Anything outside of that is going to be, uh, going to be skewed. It's going to take us in, in directions that God does not intend. We are his people. And that, my friends, defines our identity. We are not just scroungers on planet Earth hoping we can carve out some spot of significance. 
But we as believers and followers of Jesus are temples where God himself resides now and forever. And something within us should go, wow, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. We are God's special possession. Look again at 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're, you're a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have been repurposed with a whole new design if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, all of us, I suspect, are familiar with the joy of being chosen and the pain of being rejected. I mean, that's true whether we're talking about those infamous dating years. Perhaps some of you remember those. Or perhaps the challenges that have taken place within your own household. Or how about team sports? I I remember as a kid standing in line against the the baseball backstop as teams were being chosen. I don't remember being chosen first. I do remember fearing that I might be the last one chosen. And one of the most wonderful realities of the Christian life is that God has chosen us and we're his special possession. And unlike the way baseball teams are chosen with first and last uh, selections, the scriptures tell us that God is no respecter of people. In his eyes, we can all hit a home run, and he wants us on his team. The Apostle Paul explained it like this, for he chose us in him before you stood at the backstop of of the baseball diamond. He chose you before the creation of the world, already chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He wants you there. And just as God chose Israel of all the the nations of the world to be the people of the old covenant, so now God has chosen all of those who believe in Jesus Christ to be his people and his possession. I mean, what's your most prized possession? piece of jewelry handed down from generation to generation. Maybe it's furniture that you guard carefully while your kids see it as a trampoline. Or maybe it's a car, just the right car you've been waiting for, or a favorite fishing rod that guarantees catching the big ones. Or how about your house? No matter what it is, it has, greater va- it has great value to you, either monetarily or emotionally. And as a prized possession, you take great interest in it and are very careful to protect it, right? Same is true with God and his prized possession, the members of his body, the church. He chose us, he adopted us, we're special to him. And he is therefore careful to protect, and listen to this, provide for us. While others may cast us aside, not so with God, ever. And here's the great takeaway. God has great plans for your future. With him, and it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter what your past dictates, or even your present struggles, what is it you're going through right now. He didn't adopt you and, let, and set you free to wander aimlessly through life. He's a good, good father. But we must never forget who we are. 
Number one, we're living stones being built into God's spiritual house. Understand that. You are not just a person who got saved to roam about. You are a living stone. You're part of this amazing institution called the church. And secondly, we're chosen people. We're God's special possession. Or as the scripture we read this morning says, we are a holy and royal priesthood. Peter mentions a couple of times in this section that we are a priesthood, holy and royal. In the Old Testament period, God's people had a priesthood, but today God's people are a priesthood, meaning that this is critical to understand. Each individual believer has the privilege of entering into the Holy of Holies. We do not need to find somebody with a religious title to do that for us. Friends, when you got up this morning and said your simple prayer, or perhaps when you say your thank yous over your meals, or sometimes during the day you make those little cries for help, those prayers go straight into the presence of God the Father. And as a holy priesthood... We have a role. Peter said that we're to be offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. But what does that have to do with us as priesthoods? Let me give you five really quick, just one-liners here, that helps to open up the door a little bit to understand what does it mean to be giving these spiritual sacrifices. Let Let me help you understand the word sacrifice here is more akin to a grateful offering rather than, oh, what a burden I must bear. This is such a sacrifice. That's not the meaning of sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, the greatest of all sacrifices. But let me give you five really quickly. Number one, we're called to offer ourselves and our very being as living sacrifices. You and me, we get to give ourselves as that. Second, we're called to offer sacrifices of praise to God, the one who's given us everything. He is the hero. And when we look at him, the only thing that we should be able to do is to look at him and go, wow, and we offer praise. Third, the good works we do for others is an offering. Fourth, the money and other material things we share with others is also a spiritual sacrifice. And finally, the people we bring to Christ are sacrifices for his glory. No, this role of priesthood comes with some of the most amazing privileges of all. No, we're a people with a mission. There's an interesting story of the famous German philosopher Friedrich Daniel Ernst Schleiermacher. Sure, I said that absolutely right. He did much to shape the progress of modern thought in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. But one day, as an old man, he was sitting alone on a bench in a city park, and along came a policeman who thought he was just a, uh, who thought he was just a vagrant. And the, and the policeman came over, and he shook him, and he asked him, Who are you? The old philosopher looked up, sadly replied, I wish I knew. Praise God, folks, that none of us has to have that kind of identity crisis. Praise God that we can know exactly who we are in Christ, the followers of the risen Savior. Praise God that he has given us a wonderful identity in Christ, chosen, consecrated, and commissioned to the great work of the kingdom. We are God's special possession as with a royal position and a holy purpose. That's the God you're invited to receive and then ultimately live for. That's the God who amazingly loves you with with an open-handed invitation to join his eternal family and accept his plus our mission to this messed up world. Let's be sure to know who 
we are and then live in the joy of living like it. Folks, we're an honored people. And I call us this morning as I close our service in prayer to give serious consideration to where we are in that kingdom, in that work that God is wanting to do in our lives. If you've never accepted Jesus, I'm inviting you to. I'll share a simple little prayer here in a second that, that if you could take as your own, can be that first step that brings you into this amazing relationship, this chosen priesthood. If, if somewhere you're stuck in life, and God has just gone a little too far away from you, I want you to just know you can't get too far away from him. That's the deal. Because you are so chosen, you're so part of who he is. And I invite you in this morning to reconnect by faith, even if it's hard in your head to get there, believing that God longs for you and wants you desperately to be part of his life. Let us pray. For Father God, we acknowledge before you this morning that we have sinned. We acknowledge that we stand in need of a Savior. And therefore, we come in repentance, we make our confession, and ask that you would forgive us, knowing that when we do, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all that stuff in our life. And then, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. And if there are those who are just struggling, who are scared, who are broken, who are fearful... I pray that you right now would just take those arms of yours and put them tightly around them, giving them the confidence that there is no such thing as being let go, that you love them, that you care for them. Thank you. In Jesus' name we ask all of this. Amen. Blessings to you folks. Have a great day. And... um, If you need some prayer, well, the instructions are going to follow right here.